The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going today? I am rejuvenated because I'm fully in 2021 film now. No more splitting the difference between the two. It's all 2021. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect. With many teams strutting their stuff, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I know the timeline is filled with 2021 clips. Nature is healing. The basketball is good again. Uh, yeah, our first pod post-2020 draft. But we are still going to be talking 2020 draft for a little bit before we fully transition to the next cycle. Uh, today, we're going to just be doing a, a broad recap of the, 20, uh, of, the, of the recent 2020 draft, uh, talking about our favorite picks of the night our least favorite uh, picks of the night and some trends and takeaways that we can glean from it. So without, without rambling anymore, let's just get into it. Yeah. Caveat at the top though, we are recording this on Friday, November 20th at three Oh six PM. So we're going to finish recording probably what I would assume is a two parter right before free agency opens. Um, we're not anticipating that a lot will change. We'll, we'll kind of make notes uh, in situations where we think it's relevant to analyzing these picks. But um, just keep that in mind that uh, we do not know what happened in the first few days of free agency. Um, okay, now let's get into our first favorite pick. Um, I think one that, that people probably wouldn't expect based on where we were at on this guy, but he took a little bit of a tumble on draft night and ended up in a really good spot. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton to the Kings at number 12. Um we definitely had a lot of concerns about Halliburton winding up in a spot where he would be asked to be a primary creator, you know, had the real concerns about uh, being in Detroit or New York um, or San Antonio uh, where he, I think would really be used as a guy with the ball in his hands. And it would be really tough because he can't create advantages on the ball. He can't get to the rim. He can't finish there. He's not a pull-up threat. Uh, instead, he winds up next to De'Aaron Fox, a legit young initiator um, and he'll be able to play off of off of those advantages created by um, by Fox and uh, be be in that linking role. Ideally, hopefully, it's a spot where they can play fast. You know, Fox is so is so inclined to playing in transition. Then that's a place where Halliburton can really thrive as a ball handler with with his creativity and vision um, and just selflessness. 
Uh, and and hopefully it'll be a spot, yeah, where he's he's able to be used off the ball a ton, where you get the most out of his extra passing, off, out of his relocation, his spot-up shooting. Uh, and I think th- this is a pretty awesome outcome for both him and the Kings. Yeah, I mean, Halliburton really just can't tilt the defense by himself as a primary, and espe- especially if he landed in a place like uh, the Knicks or the Pistons or even higher to the Bulls or the Cavs, probably be asked to do more of that. But the Kings have a legitimate defense tilter in De'Aaron Fox, someone who can bend a defense on his own with his speed and his burst and his improving handle. So yeah, Halliburton should be in a great spot to, you know, have closeouts to attack. I'm I'm sure they'll give him some secondary pick and rolls. He has, you know, spacing, you know, for now with the presence of people like Buddy Heelder there has spacing to operate with. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, still, I think in the future that the Kings have to do more, um, just get like more like defensive wings, especially at the point of attack. I think there could be some defensive struggle there. Um, I'm not super well versed on like the point of attack defense abilities of De'Aaron Fox, but I I do like that it gives them two rangy team defenders though. I, ideally, you'd like a better guard defender there to, to you know kind of be able to check the better guards. But yeah, I mean it's a really pleasantly surprising fit for Halliburton as work. I, I think this is you know. It, fit as Halliburton likely is far less likely to be overextended um, and thrust into a role that he can't handle and, and not develop positively because of it. So yeah, uh, a really solid pick by the Kings um, and a really like good landing spot for Halliburton. Definitely someone who would rise for me a little bit in like a re-rank scenario um, where I'm just more confident in him landing in a role or being in a role that he is able to develop positively in because he's just, you know, he, he's not going to be asked to do too much. And, you know, maybe if he develops, he's going to be given time to develop into a place where he can, you know, maybe, maybe create some more on the ball a little bit. So. Um, next we've got Kyra Lewis. Uh, you want to talk about a little bit about this first as the Pelicans guy? Yeah. So Kyra, the Pelicans drafted Kyra. Um, I think the value is good. I, I definitely think they passed on better prospects, but Kyra does make a lot of sense for for, the, for this Pelicans team that has their big initiator of the future in Zion Williamson in place. Though he's you know obviously unconventional in that role, still still fulfills that I think. Um, but yeah, Kyra, we, we've talked him up plenty on this podcast as someone who can play off the ball as a guard, someone who with his blistering acceleration is is great attacking closeouts, um, great spot up shooter and has that technically gifted passing that, you know, thrives when Kyra has large windows to pass through and doesn't have to make particularly complex or or tight angle or tight angle reads and, and passes. And that's exactly what he's getting in the Pelicans offense playing next to Zion in the long term as someone who commands significant and just, serious interior gravity with, with, with his rim pressure and, and his scoring. So playing off of him um, as he develops as a, a pick and roll initiator, I think definitely will be able to find Zion pocket passes on lobs. Um, and then in transition as well, um, the Pelicans love to run, love to get Zion out um, on seals. Um, don't really use him as much as a transition ball handler as he had in the past, but w- with Kyra's ability as a transition ball handler, his his incredible blazing speed and his ability to change directions with things like Euro steps and get into his finishes in more space where um, his lack of vertical explosion and strength won't hinder his finishing as much. That's certainly a plus for him to add even more offensive value. There's... Still a little skeptical of his on-ball creation as the finishing is a big issue. Um, his, his pick and roll craft and ability to play at, at multiple speeds. But I think this the spacing and the offense and the offensive talent of the Pelicans really mitigates a lot of those weaknesses in the short short term and, and helps their development in the long term. 
Um, my only real worries are um, defensively, the, the Pelicans don't really have an infrastructure to cover him, to cover for him. Um, as like Zion, Ingram, Lonzo are all not not spectacular defenders as, as the basis of their core. Eric Bledsoe is obviously a very good defender, but I don't think he figure factors into their long term plan. And then like they don't, the, the Pelicans don't don't really have like a real like like point guard primary initiator as Lonzo just isn't that with his scoring gravity. Uh, Bledsoe probably is the closest thing they have to that, but again, it doesn't really fit into their long term plans. Uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker certainly isn't that. Ingram isn't that. And again, I, I think Kyra probably has the best chance of anyone to develop into that if he really improved as an on-ball guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall, the, the value is good. The, the fit makes a lot of sense. Is like an off-ball attacking, you know, speed-based um, attacking advantages. Uh, I think it's a positive place for his development in the long term, even if, you know, maybe he's not totally optimized in the short term given the Pelicans roster and all the guards they have. Um, but I like the fit a lot. Um, I think Kyra's probably going to be really good at some point in the future, just based on this developmental context. Yeah, I'm curious to see how he turns out as an on-ball defender, just because he, you know, he does have very good recovery tools um, with his mobility and usage of his length, even if he's not crazy long. But um, you know, he is really weak. Will he be able to fight through screens? How, where will his footwork turn out fighting through screens? Um, so I, I think that that's an important thing for them to have a really strong point of attack defender. And I'm curious to see where Kyra turns out there. I, I, I think it's conceivable to see that he could be good, but I think that the the strength gains definitely need to be there. Um, just uh, you know, in an NBA setting, I think that'll that'll hamper him a lot more than it did in college. But yeah, I mean, in, in in transition offense, it makes a ton of sense. Obviously, you've got a lot of guys now who, much like the Kings, are going to want to push and are going to play kind of at their best in those settings. Uh, the half court, I, I, yeah, I think that you're just going to end up running a lot of offense through Zion, and that's kind of the way you want it. Um, you know, you're going to have to be creative with that, but he is a transcendent talent. That's that's what you do for those guys. Uh, and it, I think that'll benefit Kyra. He'll be in situations where he can attack uh, you know, already compromised defenses. Uh, and and when, once he's in those situations, it's it's really hard to deal with him because of his because of his burst, because of his spot up shooting, uh, because of his ability to to make decisions in a closeout attacking role. Uh, we'll see with the finishing. I that I'm worried about that hampering him for sure. Uh, but you know, I I think it it still makes sense. He can he can still be a valuable player, um, really thriving in transition and thriving uh, on on. Uh, on spot ups, and I think that I think that he will have enough of an intermediate game to to uh, do some damage there. And you know, if, if teams are really trying to dare him to finish, and um, and you're playing playing passes well on his closeout attacks, maybe he'll have some trouble. But uh, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, yeah. In a, in a compliment yeah. role. I think the real swing skills for him, like like you said, because one, the finishing, you know, with the presence, I think, of Zion is kind of mitigated uh, of how important that is uh, for Kyra on, on, on this roster. And I, I also don't really think it's something that, that he that he's going to improve that much. The, the real swing skills are going to be his, you know, his, his volume and efficiency as a pull-up three-point shooter. Um, as that's kind of a, a natural and seamless pairing with 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 a with a roller of a, a roller and a screener and just a finisher of the gravity of Zion Williamson. If he can, you know, if teams will, will commit to a rolling or screening Zion, Kyra has to be able to punish them with a pull up three if he's playing on ball, and then just just his ability to improve as a pick and roll operator, um, playing 
less less at one speed um, with snakes and things where so where he can you know function more on the ball. But yeah, I mean, I think developmentally it's a good place for him to do that, especially regarding his shooting development, given the Pelicans' track record there. So yeah, I mean, it's a great pick overall. Um, definitely not one to complain about, and one where I think he's definitely one of the better landing spots for Kyra in terms of his long term development. Yeah. Um, next we've got Josh Green to Dallas at 18. Uh, I think this one makes a ton of sense. You have a very unique initiator in Luka Doncic, who is six, seven, and essentially defensively, he's a four. Um, you know, he's not going to be defending point of attack and he is going to bring some value by working off the ball as a team defender, just making use of his size and strength and intelligence. Um, so you do kind of need a wingy defender who is also competent on guards. Uh, and I think that that's exactly who Josh Green is, that Josh Green is going to be an elite, elite guard defender with some ability on on smaller wings as well. Uh, he is so special laterally, turning his hips. He fights over screens. Uh, he stays attached. He's very, very strong. He can really get into guys. Uh, he's, I think, just going to bring a ton of value on on primary options on the defensive end while also being a very, very good and sound team defender with some playmaking ability um, on account of his, his intelligence, some vertical athleticism, contortion ability. Um, I think he just really, really helps them a lot defensively. And then offensively, it's all a matter of to what level he's just willing to bomb spot ups. He's been really hesitant in the past. He's not a great shooter. Um, I, I don't think he's even a good shooter. But if you can get him to a spot where he'll just take them to the point where he draws closeouts, then he can attack a closeout. He's got a nice runner. He can make really good decisions off there. And I'm I'm always going to be skeptical on the finishing. I don't think it's ever going to be good. Uh, he is hilariously one-handed as a finisher. Zero with his left whatsoever. Uh, absolutely terrified when he has to try to attempt uh, lefty finishes. He avoids it at all costs. He'll do crazy reverses. Uh, to try to avoid that left seventh percentile half court rim finisher, just a disaster there. But the rest of his game is is strong, um, and especially that defensive role that he fills, I think, makes a ton of sense as a as a partner to, to Luka Doncic. Yeah, I think the other really important uh, piece of, of Green to the Mavs is his connecting offensive skills. Um, yeah, the, the the spot up is definitely the uh, the swing skill. I I mean he's. I'm with you in, in, in skepticism for his shot, but his indicators certainly aren't terrible. I mean, he's a good free throw shooter with, with good touch. Just you kind of have to get him to be to be willing to seek out and take spot ups. And I think it's, I, I it's start- the the willingness point I think is maybe more important than the the efficiency even. Like he yeah, really is so. a hesitant shooter. Yeah, um, and he always has been. But I yeah. think Dallas is probably the best like one of the best places to get that out of him because he's just gonna be getting so many of them. Like and he's going to be trained and and drilled into him that you know Dallas Dallas just just like they're, they're, they played MKG in the bubble. Yeah, they did. I mean, he, he was like their wing stopper. So like they, they they really need Josh Green, who I was talked about Green's Green's kind of uh, specialty and what makes him so rare is his ability to guard down uh, with his feet. But I do think he can guard up a little bit, um, especially if he if he adds a little more strength. Um, Obviously not going to be like a big wing stopper, but that's he's even then probably still their best option there, um, as they're just really limited there. Uh, but yeah, like offensively, just with with his connecting skills, like um, 
he's going to be a guy who, if if the spot up works and if he's willingness to improve his volume, he's a really really good wing passer, um, able to you know make quick decisions and, and run even a little bit of secondary pick and roll. Um, he, he had some just ridiculous highlight passes this year in transition. So I think with his ability to to be a ball mover and a cutter and finish and you know hit those floaters in the intermediate, he again gives the Mavericks just another offensive piece they really don't have. Um, especially, um, you know, just next to Luka Doncic with, with all of the, the gigantic uh, vacated space he creates. Um, that just makes it all the easier for, for, for Green to deal with his limited burst and, you know, makes it so there's going to be more room in the paint for him to operate and, and make plays. So all around, it's just a, a beautiful fit for him to, to maximize his defensive strengths and to mitigate his offensive weaknesses and, and, and again, optimize those strengths he has on the under the floor. So it's a great fit. Um, definitely, we, we've talked about the the scarcity of real defensive wings in this class, um, and though, like, 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 even though, like, what he, he was picked at eighteen, he was like technically a little lower on both of our boards. I think we can both agree it's really, really good value just because of how important that position is, especially to a team like the Mavericks, and how few of those are in this class. So, yeah, uh, overall, an excellent pick on both ends, and uh, I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, next we have Precious Achua, 20th to Miami, which I think on the broadcast, at least, we disagreed on a little bit. Um, I, I like it quite a bit. Maybe you've changed changed your opinion on it. But um, obviously the, the BAM comparisons will be natural and are not entirely warranted, as we've, as we've discussed in the past. But I do very much like the idea of Precious going to the spot where they developed BAM into BAM. Uh, you're, t- you're taking a guy who is very able as a mover. He, he needs to develop movement skill. By that, I mean just biting less on dribble moves, biting less on, on ball fakes. Like he, but he is capable as a mover. So he's capable of being a really, really high-level mover if you rein him in. Um, he's a super high-energy player, uh, and it's a spot where I think he can hopefully be constrained and really only see minutes as a center uh, if they're hoping that he is going to be BAM, I think they'll be disappointed from definitely a decision-making and handling standpoint. Uh, and in the short term, I think from a enabling and switch everything uh, standpoint. But long term, I think that defensively he can he can maybe approximate some of that. Uh, and there's kind of no better spot offensively to develop him than Miami, even if I'm highly skeptical of like the touch shots that Bam has being there, the definitely the decision-making handling. Uh, I'm skeptical of all of that, but a, a spot where they're, they're so good developmentally, where they have this experience with Bam, I do think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, my feelings on this one are still a little mixed. Um, I can't disagree that this is probably the best developmental context for Precious, just in terms of their organizational structure and their culture and what they value. My, my real big worry is, is just his positionality. And if they force him to be anything but a five, since they already kind of have Bam, I, I do think it's a, a solid indicator that, you know, they, they see this player that can be like Bam. I just worry that, um, you know, they try to turn. I, I think there's a chance, even if it's a, a small chance, that, that they try to turn him into a big wing. They they maybe see some of the, you know, some of the handling and the, 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 the shot making that he did on limited occasion at Memphis and are enticed to work him on the perimeter. Um, and obviously that's that's not good for Precious. And even if the Heat are probably the, the best team to, to give him a chance of su- success in that role, I still don't think it's really possible. But I do like the fit for all of the same reasons that you mentioned. 
Um, I think giving, you know, having Precious, because um, again, not Bam, making him Bam would would be a problem, but someone who definitely presents a lot of the same strengths and a lot of similar abilities. So have, being able to like run your defensive scheme um, basically whenever, um, even when Bam is off the floor, especially hopefully in the playoffs, is really, really critical. Um, getting another big who's going to play with incredible motor and effort has the mobility to play similar pick and roll coverages. Obviously, not this switch everything that Bam does because nobody can do that. But just just being able to blitz pick and rolls and hedge pick and rolls and late switch, I think at his ceiling with Miami Precious can definitely is definitely going to be capable of that. Um, yeah, so just just having another version of Bam to kind of anchor their defensive schemes, so they don't really have to make alterations. Um, and if they can do that for forty eight minutes of every playoff game, that's going to be really really difficult to match. So I I do certainly like this one. Again, a, a little more mixed th- 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 than you are, I think. But I I mean, this is undoubtedly like a good pick and one of the better ones in the draft, and certainly someone who would rise a lot for me in a re rank. Just because, yeah, I mean, Miami's. The, the, the organizational fit, the developmental context is is really great. Um, it's one of the best in the league. So I think the the outlook for Precious is definitely a lot better now than it was if he landed somewhere else. And, and that's kind of the thing. Like, Precious is a specialized role player. But now if you're in a situation where going small for 48 minutes a game in the playoffs doesn't mean playing Andre Iguodala at center. It means yeah. playing someone like Precious who, down, if we're saying down the road, he's much he's much more capable of, of, a, of at least something close to a switch everything um then th- that's that's pretty interesting especially at the 20th pick to get a guy who can kind of enable you to play in that way that that we saw is really really destructive uh for other teams like if you can play like that for 48 minutes that's pretty scary um so i i like it a lot i think it makes a lot of sense yeah i mean yeah i mean, definitely has i think the, the chance to go to go a little poorly but has the chance to go really really well uh assuming they play it right which i which i think there's honestly probably more reason than not to, to give them credit to to just kind of believe that they will yeah next we've got one of many that is going to cause me a great deal of pain um tyrese maxi to philly at 21 <laughs> um so a top five or six guy on both of our boards um maxi is like the great complimentary scorer in this draft he um i can i think he can definitely shoot with versatility off the move off the dribble off the catch um his track record as a shooter is so strong he can score in the intermediate because he's got beautiful balance on his on his pull-up he's got an elite elite floater that was really good at Kentucky, but I we didn't even see the full extent of it. It was it was so ridiculous in youth levels, um, and and then at the rim he's a special guard finisher. He has unique strength. Like I said, that balance is unbelievable. Uh, incredible ambidexterity, great craft. He's he's probably best in class using the rim to protect his finishes. Um, just you know, always leaves uh, shot contesters with uncertainty as to which side of the rim he's going to try to finish on, and he's just constantly using that rim for protection um so three level scoring ability while being a really really good guard defender with i think a little bit of positional versatility even though he is small just because he's so strong and physical and tries so hard really solid team defender um i think for philly maybe a little bit less half court off the dribble game than i would ideally want i think it's it's a little a little worse it's it would be a little more desirable than to have someone like Malachi Flynn, but but Tyrese Maxey is just such a better prospect than that and so good at what he does in that complimentary guard role 
that I think it was 100% worth it and was was the pick of the night, especially when you consider that they also uh, moved Josh Richardson and one of the seconds to get Seth Curry, who does have more of that off-the-bounce game, that he can he can be a bit of a half-court creator for them. Uh, so I think that Tyrese Maxey makes a ton of sense. He's a spectacular prospect. Uh, it was an incredible uh, mixture of value and fit. Um, he's going to be so good for them, and it's it's going to make me very upset for a long time. <laughs> yeah, he really opens up the floor and opens up the offense for for Embiid and Simmons in a way that they haven't had in a long time, really. Um, just just as someone who has the spacing and and the ability to to kind of bend the defense once he attacks a closeout or off of a secondary pick and roll, like just you you, you can just you can just you can just imagine you know Maxi absolutely annihilating defenses or defenses off of the the just the post up gravity of Joel Embiid, um, where you know team teams will send even even like a second defender just shading at Embiid that'll be enough to get to get Maxi the tiny sliver of airspace he needs to to carve up the defense and, and create an easy shot for himself and hopefully as he progressive progresses as as a playmaker create an easy shot for others and then obviously just gives Ben Simmons more of the spacing he's able to operate um the defensive versus the shooting and the defensive versatility just gives gives them more and more lineup flexibility um, re- regarding Simmons and Embiid. So all around, it, it, it makes so much sense. And I mean, the the, the whole Sixers revamp, um, we'll talk a little more about that later, is really just spectacular with with, with what they've done, just totally um, evolving the fit of this roster um, and just really really changing the long term outlook. And, and and it starts with Maxi being that being that really, really potent secondary creator. I mean, as like the third best player on a championship team, I think he profiles as that nicely. And I think that's what he could be here in Philadelphia for a long time. Yep. Next, we've got Malachi Flynn, 29 to the Raptors. Oh man. It's so, it's so good. Uh, I I don't, I'm not going to say that he is like the FBV replacement, Um, but yeah, uh, he's the best, the best pick and roll player in college basketball last year, his pick and roll scoring is so unbelievable. It is so diverse. He on every single possession, he can break out something new to just destroy the big man. Um, he has everything from, he can snake into the, the CP elbow jumper. Um, he has, uh, he, he really likes to go to his, to his in and out while moving downhill to turn the big and then get to the rim to finish. Um, he, he can vary his stride length. He can play at different paces. Uh, he has his elite runner, of course, with great balance, great strength through contact, uh, at the rim. He's an incredible cap craft finisher. He uses both hands. He has every small guard finish you could ever want. The Nash layups, the just weird pacing inside hand stuff. Uh, it's, it's so incredible, um, how good his pick and roll scoring is. And then he adds to that, that he's a good pick and roll passer and a very, very good pull-up shooter, very good off-ball player, really, really smart relocator. And then on the defensive end, strong, physical, smart, tries hard. And he's, he's, I think, the best gambler in the class, that his gambles are very well um, – they're, they're executed at, with very good timing and – they're not bad gambles. Like he, he, it doesn't feel like he's taking risks. He, they're very, very calculated gambles and they tend to work out. Uh, so he even brings value to the team defender. He's such a good player. Um, not only am I confident in him as a backup point guard, but we, we've talked about this in the past that 
you know, should we be accounting for a little bit with Malachi that he has some serious sort of creator upside because he is just such an, such a well-rounded offensive, I mean, and defensive player. We've talked about this in the past. And I think you have to really consider that with Toronto, that this is a team that has had so much success developing small guards that they, like, of course, Lowry was a very good player before he was there. Um, but he really blossomed into a superstar there that Fred Van Vliet rose from undrafted free agent into a guy who's about to get paid uh, with Toronto. You have to think that there's at least a chance that Malachi really realizes some of those tail end outcomes and becomes, instead of just a very good pick that we think he is, something even more intimidating than that. Yeah, we talk about the the high-end developmental teams. Uh, Toronto certainly ranks towards the top of those. Yeah, it just makes sense with a Toronto team that, you know, runs a pretty simple offense, uh, requires uh, you know, requires and expects a lot of their perimeter players to handle and dribble and pass and shoot. Um, and again, Malachi works perfectly with, with both the with his intersection of, of on and off ball play. Um yeah, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like again, playing next to Lowry, at, you know, as like a proto Van Fleet. I mean, it's like it's such an easy comparison. Like obviously, the, the, they're different players. Um, there, but it, it it's a really easy you know fit, especially if if Van Fleet ends up walking. I mean, you can you can see it being pretty quick for for Malachi to step into that role. Um, as that secondary pick and roll creator. Um, I think definitely like loosen up, you know, run some pick and rolls with Siakam and loosen up the floor for him. It's just a beautiful fit. Uh, yeah, and then defensively with you know with the Raptors, you know, Raptors loving to play aggressively at the nail, um, you know, which which Malachi is great at. Um, you, you know, again, just developing his his point of attack defense even more. Uh, I think I, I think it's an awesome fit. Um, it's an awesome. It, it's a scary good fit in value. Like. He's he's gonna be so good. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy for him and for the Raptors that it's this it's this wonderful marriage of a, a fantastic organization and just such a joyous player. Um, I I think it's gonna be really fun to track his development or really painful if you if you root for another team in that in that division. Um, yeah, I mean he doesn't need like complex offense or like anything or like, really complex things to to succeed. Just just give him pick and rolls and he's gonna thrive. Like yeah. he can, like he's someone who can definitely, I think, like also help run their bench unit if you want to stagger him with Lowry and, and Siakam. Someone who, uh, a player who can help, you know, create and drive offense, um, definitely against bench units, I think, as he develops. So overall, I mean, as a starting compliment, as, as someone who helps that team in so many different ways, it's, it's a beautiful fit and a beautiful value. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect. With many teams strutting their stuff, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Support for the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's blow-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I am talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. The Lawn Mower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package 3.0, which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. 
The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting it on the smelliest part of your body? And yes, your balls stink. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Next, we have one of the guards who fell. Something that we kept talking about on our, on our best plays and, and uh, on various preview pods. That There were so many guards in this late first range that some were going to fall until the mid to late second. Uh, and so you saw... You know, Devon Dotson go undrafted. You saw Trey Jones in the 40s. Uh, but the one that we really liked was Nico Mannion at 48 to Golden State. Because I, I think you you said this on, on the live broadcast that I kind of spoke it into existence with my sacrilegious uh, <laughs> death cough for Nico's specifically yes, after pass relocation. So He's still coughing this death. It's, it's, <laughs> it is just funny that Nico Mannion, yeah. the best after pass relocator in the class, winds up in Golden State. A spot here, pass relocator of all time. <laughs> yeah, a, a spot where he's going to be able to play in a, in an offense that, well, yes, it emphasizes pick and roll more now. Is still a, a heavy off screen offense. Um, I think it's awesome for Nico. I think it's a spot where he could actually be pretty valuable player. Um, so I, I'm I'm happy about that, and and also a spot where they've had a lot of success developing uh, kind of scrawny guards physically that they so famously built up Steph. Uh, from a strength perspective, if they can really do that with Nico, yeah, and, and Nico's his... not even starting from that that low baseline. No, but if you, especially with Nico, if you can really strengthen him up, he can be even better defensively. And I already think that he's he's fine on that end. And hopefully, can can add some more consistency to his jumper there. Um, I think it's a really good spot for him. I think he could he could turn into a pretty useful player there. And at forty eight, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, Nico went from about the worst possible context that he could be in as just a full-time on-ball primary creator who who was tasked with pretty much generating like 90, 80, 90% of Arizona's offense to one where he's going to be asked uh, to play to his greatest strength. So it, it, it's about a, as good of a as good of a swap in in team construction for Nico as you could possibly imagine. Oh my god! I didn't like Nico. I, I mean, I still like Nico, but not, not, not as much as you do. But I, I can't deny that this is probably the best fit for him to be really, really useful. Um, like this is the spot for him to be at that third guard. Obviously, you know, with Clay Thompson's Achilles injury, not right now, or maybe not ever. But you know, next to Steph, um, next to Draymond, um, we, we, we've we've talked about the Warriors like just needing NBA players desperately. Like they just need guys who can play, especially at guard where outside of Curry, they've been really, really depleted these past couple years. Um, and, and I think Nico could actually probably contribute in year one a little bit. Like, uh, I'm, I'm I don't skeptical. know. I'm skeptical of Nico contributing in year one. I th- long term. Long term. I think off the bench, he could like for like mm. 10, 11 minutes a game if, if they need him to, I mean, just, just have him run around screens and shoot. And then just like defend a defend a bench guard. Like I think there's avenues for that. Like I'm not saying he's going to be like super impactful. I think that Nico can't defend bench guards in year one, and the the shooting off screens maybe if he can actually do it at a high enough level right now. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I I don't know that Nico's contributing in year one on a real team, but I do like it long term. Long term, it makes yeah, sense. long yeah. I mean, I, either way, it works really well for his development. The spot where he's certainly not going to be asked to, to do more than he can handle. Um, and yeah, and, and and can thrive in those off screen situations. Um, take take advantage of that passing ability. Um, in more 
in, in a more spaced out open floor where he doesn't have to operate in, in tight slots and, and create his own advantages. So yeah, I mean, it's a great fit, um, an excellent value late in the second. Um, from Again, like we said, some of these guard prospects were bound to fall um, and Nico fell into a slot where he's kind of, or is kind of perfect for him to really be a valuable role player in the long term, I think. Yeah, next we have Mr. Irrelevant, uh, Sam Merrill, who went 60th to the Bucks. I don't know if Merrill can play for day one from day one for them, but I think that there's a chance with the 60th pick that he might have to. But yeah, I mean, he's, I don't know if he, he can, but he's an elite shooter. Um, with for for that off guard role, will have like uh, certainly plus playmaking ability because he was an on ball guard in college um, and is a smart player. Uh, and then defensively, just a guy who's who's underrated. He can he can get over screens. He is a smart team defender. Obviously, he's not a playmaker with his physical tools, um, but like he's not a catastrophic defensive player, and he can really shoot. And I think he can play make on closeout attacks. He could conceivably play for them. And yeah, they're they're such a roster crunch, such a financial crunch that a guy who's going to be making the the rookie minimum, who is the 60th pick might actually be able to see minutes for them. Uh, that's pretty huge. Um, I, I really like this pick a lot. Uh, Sam, yeah. like really good spot for, for yeah. Sam Merrill and, and a nice get for Milwaukee. Yeah, I'm skeptical that he's able to really contribute. Like, I, I'm certainly not skeptical that he might be forced to play just because of what the Bucks have done and what they're doing. I, I think they're, they're they're definitely, almost certainly, w- 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 will be games where he's forced to actually play real minutes. I'm skeptical of, of how much he can really contribute just, just based on his physical limitations at the moment. Um, but I certainly think, you know, just as like down the road and, you know, maybe even in a couple of years, um, hopefully in a couple of years, you know, for his sake, the Bucks are still going to be competing for a championship in, in, in a year or two or, or three. But yeah, I just as, you know, another one of those off guards, um, more of like an off wing, really just in an elite shooter in all facets with some ancillary passing and handling like it, like it makes a ton of sense next next to in in a Giannis led offense where uh dribble pass shoot guards and wings on the perimeter are, are really really key and and just taking advantage of the spacing and the rim gravity that that Giannis and that whole Bucks offense creates yeah I mean yeah I mean with you know with Budenholder's tendencies uh with with rotations you, you might actually see Merrill play in the playoffs like <laughs> I don't know about that one but I mean, yeah, I mean, he's certainly, it's certainly a, a perfect fit. Um, the fact that Merrill is already like at 24 entering his prime, the fact that he's on a, a contending team right now and conceivably could contribute, you know, in, in the playoffs in the next couple of years, like it's, it's kind of a perfect fit. And at the 60th pick, which, you know, you rarely see contribute. I, I think there's a real, a real chance that, that Merrill is like a, a valuable asset for this Bucks team. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just a really good value by my board. Also, that I had him in the in the solid rotational gambles tier. I had him forty fourth for whatever that rank matters. But you know, a guy would would have comfortably taken in the mid second to get him at sixtieth on a t- on a team that is trying to win a championship um, and does need you know a shooters and can make use of of a a guy that size who's a dribble pass shoot guy, but is you know athletically and creation wise limited. Uh, it makes a ton of sense. I think is I think is a really awesome value and a good player. Yeah. Um, so, so the last um, players or group of picks that we had are just just prospects whose fit is less complicated or doesn't really need as much discussion. Just really good players who ended up fitting with teams, you know, at really good value. So we have Killian Hayes of the Pistons, Isaac Cord of the Cavs, 
Um, Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman to the Grizzlies and Isaiah Joe to the Sixers. Always just you know players who very good players that, that we like a lot that landed um, you know in, in value spots where we think they're going to have a chance to succeed. Um, you know, not not as complicated or as nuanced with their fit as these other guys maybe or the development, but just just really great spots for all of them. Yeah, I to to add a, like a little bit on those guys. I think that that Tillman is a, is a guy who can maybe play with JJJ and and help to mitigate his some of his like rebounding issues while while JJJ you know brings some some weak side rim protection and and can maybe help account for the fact that Tillman is a little bit smaller as a center. Uh, and then Bain is, is a guy who could bring shooting to them that they need on the wing. Uh, the Joe fit is is maybe a little bit more no- noteworthy as well, that they finally have a guy who can play in that J.J. Redick DHO game with Embiid, um, that Joe, it, you know, he's viewed as as just a gunner, but definitely, but very much has off-the-dribble shooting. Like, he was an elite pull-up shooter both of his years at Arkansas, even with the overall shooting numbers uh, varying a lot. That, yeah, he's a guy who can can certainly take one dribble and pull up um and it, i think that that's just you know a skill set that they certainly need in philadelphia and was an unbelievable value at what would, what did you go 40? 49 i think 49 yeah, yeah. 49 unbelievable Man. yeah that, what a draft by philly really unbelievable yeah um yeah and then i guess yeah, I, Go ahead. yeah. I, just, I wanted to mention a little bit about Okoro. I talked about. Uh, I, I think Killian's pretty straightforward. Just you know, the best player available by, by a mile on a team devoid of young talent. Uh, but yeah, I mean, fit with with Okoro to the Cavs, um, just just a perfect fit, um, given the, the rest of their young talent. Um, as I think a really positive piece for their development as an unlocking talent with with his wing playmaking and his slashing. Um, and his canter just got traded. <laughs> I just saw Max like, uh, yeah. Uh, and his canter traded to wait Desmond. Oh, just kidding. That that's part. It's part oh, of oh, that. Oh, that's part of the Desmond Bain train. Okay, yeah. I was gonna say like, did they trade Desmond Bain? Portland and his canter. Nice. Oh man. Nice. This is wonderful. Uh, something to raise Max's spirits after. Um, what the Celtics did to him uh, on Wednesday it's, it's, night. It's all, it's all worth it. I don't have to watch Ennis Cantor anymore. Um, <laughs> all right, back back to the podcast. Yeah, I was like, I was like, Max, why are you so excited about Okoro? I mean, I know we like Okoro. But... I do love Okoro. I think this is a great pick. Uh, okay, sorry, Ben, continue. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I just think he's, like, not only being a great value and a great fit for their current roster, and I think he's a great developmental uh, kind of unlocking piece for the rest of their talent. Because Garland and Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr., like he 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 gives them a, a playmaking uh, compliment they don't have. I, I think Okoro is easily the best passer of, of that group of prospects, um, and then probably the best slasher as well. And he's no, he's the best slasher as well with his strength and his finishing, um, and and just his ability to carve out space and draw fouls. So I think offensively he unlocks a lot, and then defensively being really like their only stalwart wing POA defender. Um, in, in the short term helps them a lot. I was just being an incredible wing defender in the long term with with the offense that I really believe in. And you know, assuming they want to keep investing in Garland and Sexton, um, just I, I think construction where he's going to have spacing, going to be able to be used off of the ball. Um, you know, it's just a fit for the short and the long term, given the rest of their talent that I like. Just someone that unlocks and, and optimizes the rest of what they do. Uh, again, one of my absolute favorite picks of the night um, was Okoro. They got BPA, uh, 
a scarce position in general in the league, a scarce position in the draft, and it's a spot where they've got multiple handlers and hopefully can make use of him. Uh, I think Kevin Love is a really, really good complement developmentally for for Akora to give him some space to play in. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's really awesome. That was a great pick. Uh, like I, I I think less of like a, a wild standout than these other ones, but just really really solid, yeah, was- really smart. Yeah, um, not a pick that was like hard to predict or anything that just like blows you well, away. Oh, no, but they were constantly being mocked, like OB, which I think would have been pretty disastrous. Um, but they, they didn't do it. They they went with the like really smart, solid pick, and I, I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think there was there was some Okoro news there, but yeah, I mean the OB thing was there. Even like the, the Denny thing was there. But yeah, I mean Okoro was easily the right decision for them. Yeah, I mean Denny. Denny was probably very widely viewed as a as a better prospect, and they passed on Denny at a at a essentially similar role, similar position, and took the guy that, that we both think is a superior prospect. So I was a huge fan of that. I really. Yeah, it, it, it was great business by the, the Cleveland Cavaliers for once. Um, definitely their best draft in a while, I think, just by virtue of picking a core where they did. Um, should we start some, some least favorite picks before we, we, uh, we move on to part two? Yeah, I saw your tweet. <laughs> um, so first, we've got a guy, a player who we like a lot, unlike a lot of these other least favorite picks, but was just kind of a baffling selection. And maybe this will be explained in the next uh, few days before this is released. Um, but Onyeka Kongwu at six to the Hawks. I don't really understand what they're doing yeah. there at all. It's a um, weird one. It, it's they, certainly it, strange. It's just, I'm worried now that, that he is going to be playing the four almost um, because they have Clint Capella there. They have John Collins there. Uh, Onyeka Kongwu is not a four. His appeal is as a, Covered versatile five. Um, like I think the value of getting a Kongwu at six is totally fine with me. He fits very well with Trey. I think he would he would do a lot to help Trey. It's just weird with who's currently on their roster. And that's not to say that that makes it a bad pick. I'm just still waiting for another shoe to drop. Um I'm yeah, I'm just confused as yeah. to what they're doing there. Not necessarily that you can't invest in a center if you think that, especially if you think that he's the best player available and that he makes sense with with really the only guy you should be accounting for with Trey. It's just, what's your plan developmentally for a Kongwu is my concern. Like to be, to be very clear, it's not that because you had centers, you can't draft the Kongwu. It's just, is this going to mean that Onyeka Kongwu is playing the four now? Cause that would be really bad. That would be yeah. really bad for developing Onyeka Kongwu as a player. Um, so it's just concern over how he is now going to be used, how his development arc is going to proceed um, because he needs to be playing the five. Uh, and ideally not next to another big man who's playing the four either. Like, so it just TBD where Onyeka Kongu is playing, who he's playing alongside. I'm just, I'm concerned about, about what's going on developmentally there. Yeah. I absolutely agree with the, the kind of roster construction there being wonky. Um, Cause I mean, I don't think you really want Collins at the four long-term definitely don't want Onyeka. Just what are they doing with Clint Capella? But just playing, just taking into account the other side, assuming they do view Onyeka Kongu as their long-term big man next to Trey Young, I think it's a really good fit um, developmentally for for Onyeka and for the Hawks as a whole. Just first of all, I think it's a great spot for his offensive development. 
Um, just having the gravity of Trey Young to to be, to to be able to find Onyeka on the short roll and foster those those learned reads like we talked about with him and continue improving his short roll passing. He'll have loads of space to finish in with with, with all of the shooting wings that they're kind of accruing at this point. Like offensively, I, I think it's an excellent fit. You know, playing with Trey is, is like any role man's dream. So I, I think that that that's a really really great fit. And then defensively, again, just. As as someone to cover for to continue helping cover for and insulate Trey um, with the the glut of wings they're building, it, it works a lot defensively as well. Though you, you'd probably want a better like weak side rim protecting four next to him in the long term. So I, I do think if like based like Max said, we're gonna see what their plan is in the next couple of days probably. Um, assuming they you know maybe they want to commit to Onyeka in a way that would probably surprise a lot of people, ourselves included. If they do do that or choose to commit to Onyeka as their long-term big man, then yeah, I think that um, it could be really good. And I don't think that's the decision they really have to make. Like they could, I mean, they, they could certainly use him off the bench and hold off on making that decision in year one. Um, I don't think that would stun his development that much, um, but they, they do definitely have to make a decision eventually because they can't, you know, they can't use Onyeka as a four long-term or else they're just wasting the value of the sixth pick. Um, you have to do something with Capella or Collins or Onyeka really here. Um, so I definitely have a little bit of optimism for this one because there are a lot of ways that it could go very right for them. Um, but yeah, there's, there's also a lot of ways that it just is kind of confusing and, and doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, again, not, not really banging on it too hard at this point, cause I'm just waiting to see what their plan is. Cause that's gonna, that's gonna dictate what I really think about this pick and, and this fit. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, as it stands, you have 48 center minutes and like Onyeka Kongu and Quinn Capella should play zero minutes together. And you know, maybe maybe they're both are just gonna play twenty four minutes. I feel like that's probably a poor investment with with Capella and and Okongwu as a rookie maybe doesn't have to play more than that. But you just spent the sixth pick on the guy. Like ideally, I would think going forward he's gonna be more than a mid twenties minutes guy. I think that's kind of the appeal with Okongwu is that that he can kind of play no matter what. It's just it's it's really odd. Um, as it just yeah developmentally is is questionable maybe you can get by for a year with it where there's you can keep them from overlapping but i worry about what it means developmentally for yeah. ronyaka i'm optimistic i'm like a little bit hopeful for the long term um again just just gonna on the bright him. side i mean he's a he's a very good player he's a prospect that we yeah. like have no problem spending a six pick, the six pick on him in a and vacuum just like with trey young there you know which like we said is the only guy they're looking to be accounting for he's kind of a perfect match a match there with with trey for a big man yeah he's, and i mean the, the the collins thing isn't isn't like prohibitive either it's just that it makes no sense that they just also traded for a highly paid center um yeah it's yeah it's confusing i don't know what's going on there but uh we'll, we'll wait and see it's weird but that yeah i mean for me especially like that's more of like a hate pick than just like a well it's kind of weird um and how we feel about this pick is going to change a lot based on what they do in the yeah episode. i mean it's, when this when this episode is released on monday this pick could make total sense yeah which is definitely something that, that we're going to be accounting for here which is what we're making sure we account for here that this this pick could make a lot more sense than or it could make similarly less sense um yeah we don't know and we're going to find out. Okay. Another one that's concerning is Obi Toppin 8 to the Knicks. Um, don't love the value, obviously. Just thought Obi was not this level of, of prospect. But I'm really concerned since um, since he is fundamentally a complimentary big man. They have no creation on that roster. Who is putting Obi in position to succeed? Who is getting Obi the ball on the roll? Um, 
Like I can't is, wait for them to run Julius Randle, Obi Toppin pick and rolls. Who, who is getting? Who is throwing Obi lobs? I just really worry that then by default to get him involved, what are you doing? Are you posting up Obi Toppin, who has the world's highest center of gravity and will not be able to move anyone? Will just get stonewalled by by every single NBA center and like probably most NBA wings, maybe some NBA guards. Um, like, is that what you're going to be doing? Are you going to be isolating Obi Toppin on the perimeter? Like. I just don't understand how you're going to be getting the ball to Obi without a big-time creator on the roster. And this is one where it could change a little bit. They could sign Gordon Hayward. They could sign Fred Van Vliet. But those guys are more secondary creator types also. Like, if Fred Van Vliet is the one that's that's charged with running your entire offense, I worry about him getting Obi the ball in those situations. I certainly worry about that with Gordon Hayward, even though he himself is a, is a very strong creator too. It, it is more of a, a secondary role, an additional passing. And then in bench in bench units, he can certainly like that but he is not a big time compromiser of the defense it's it's more yeah he'll make good decisions but it, he does get his own offense off of a, a diet of, of kind of tough shots um so i worry a lot about putting obi Toppin in a position to succeed with this team um for a team that just doesn't have a lot in place if if you know even even if they end up with with uh fred van vliet or gordon hayward i worry about it but Man, if it's R.J. Barrett is the one who's who's running pick and roll with Obi Toppin, oh man, that that's tough. And and then that doesn't even get at the fact that their big core piece is supposed to be Mitchell Robinson, and they, they're they, both they, like, they overlap as as our friend Jake said on the live show. They are both play finishers. Um, Obi has a little more skill than Mitch Robinson, obviously, with his passing and some of the some of the handling and, and shooting. But fundamentally, their their best usage is as play finishers, as, as role men, as cutters, as, as dunker spot guys. And again, they, they they overlap in ways that you wouldn't want with overlapping with maybe your best prospect. So, I mean, I'll make I, I, again. I'm totally in agreement with this pick being catastrophic uh, for a lot of reasons. But I, I mean, the silver lining, I guess, is. Um, Obi will certainly keep you bad enough to where if you land someone like Cade next year, then that certainly changes the calculus for Obi, where you do have a long-term guy um, who can be that play finisher and that, that the elite complementary big offensively next to a really good uh, you know, franchise-changing initiator-level talent. Uh, we've talked about a, a strategy for the Knicks in the past being you know, loading up on complementary guys. You know, we had thought of that as like wings, you know, t- taking Vassell or or Pat Will if he fell, or Green, or someone like that. I guess you could view Obi through that same lens as this year kind of not mattering for him, though obviously every year matters for development, and this is a terrible developmental context. Uh, we saw that exact same thing with RJ Barrett last year, where though neither of us were, were very in on RJ, I think it's clear that he was thrust into a role that he totally cannot handle, um, uh, being like a primary creator for the Knicks. And despite our skepticism of RJ Barrett, I think he's definitely better than more capable of more than he showed in his rookie year. Um, Obi certainly would, I think could fall into that same trap. But I think there, there's hope that for the future, um, Obi Toppin, you know, if the Knicks can really land that creator eventually helps them a lot uh, down the road, or maybe he's just a, a really solid second contract guy. I, I, I mean, on a second contract, he'll be like entering his prime. So, or his physical prime, you know, but so maybe just looking for some positivity here. Like he is a very good offensive big, but just does not have the infrastructure or the context to succeed at all. Like it, it, it's really, really a struggle with this pick and just kind of the, the context that he's been, been thrust into. 
um, especially kind of with with um, at least one of the other picks the Knicks made, which we're going to get into next part, um, which certainly doesn't help Obi as much as he could. But yeah, it was it was definitely in the top ten. Like even Denny would have been better, who who went one spot later. Like Denny would have been better. Vassell would have been better. Um, Cairo would have been better. Maxi would have been better. Cole would have been better. Poku would have been better. Yeah, it, it it's rough. All right, part one in the yep. book. Yep, that, that that was part one of our post-draft recap. Uh, once again, thank you all for listening. As always, you can follow the pod at prep2propod on Twitter. Follow Max at Max A. Carlin. Follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. And with that, we'll see you all in the next part.